Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Let's turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians tonight, chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 13. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. So there was this uh, water bug, and her name was Cheryl, and Cheryl really liked playing Skippo. If you don't know this, Skippo's a card game, and if you didn't know that water bugs like to play Skippo, well, then this story is for you. So Cheryl had this very special relationship because she had three very close friends, and so there were four of them, and they would get together every day, and they would play Skippo. If you're not familiar with the game Skippo, um, it is a phenomenal game, and it is designed wonderfully to be played for four people. You can play with more or less, but four people is like the perfect amount of people to play Skippo, and the Cheryl Waterbug knew this. She knew this because when you have four players for Skippo, you can play partners, and it's just so much fun to do that. And if you're playing with three, you can't play in teams. And sure, you can play in teams with six, eight, and ten, but then you're just waiting so long for the game to come back around to your turn. It's just not worth the wait. Cheryl loved playing Skippo. So Cheryl the Waterbug would play Skippo with her three closest friends, and they would get together, and they would play every morning and every evening, every day and every night, and it was Perfect and wonderful, and they loved it, they loved each other, and they loved Skippo, and everything was just fine until one day when one of the Waterbug friends left. We want to protect his identity, so for the sake of the story, we're going to name him Daryl. So Daryl gets up at the end of a Skippo game, which he won, by the way, and he stands up from the table, and he has this like strange, glazed look on his eyes. And Daryl turns, and he starts walking towards the closest lily stalk and starts climbing towards the surface, which is not something that water bugs do. So Cheryl, the water bug, is standing there with her other two friends, just absolutely perplexed at what's happening. And Daryl starts crawling closer and closer towards the surface until he finally reaches out of their sight, and then Daryl never comes back. Well, Cheryl and her friends are tormented, and not only because they hated playing skipbo with three people, they were tormented because they missed their friend, and they liked him, and it was just like now that Daryl was gone, nothing made sense in life. Everything felt uneven. Everything was out of step. I mean, I understand that there's lots of card games you can play with three people, but if they're not designed for three people, then it just feels awkward, and you're always staring at this empty chair, and you know that someone else should be there because you should be playing with four people because it's better that way. Cheryl was tormented by this with her water bug friends, and for a long time, it was just really, really difficult to get along. I mean, Cheryl had been watching reruns of Joel Osteen, and she wanted her best life now. And so she was disappointed 
And so Cheryl then got on the internet and she looked up new card games and she found this card game called Scat, which is a German card game. This is a real thing. Everything in this story is real. And Scat can only be played by three people. It is designed to be played by three people. And when Cheryl the Waterbug found this, she was absolutely thrilled. She thought, maybe my life can make sense again. And so she then gets together with her other two Waterbug friends and they learn this new game and they love it. And it's like things start to make sense again in their life and they start playing scat every morning and every evening, every day and every night. And they've added this new part of the game. And the new part of the game is that every time they start the game, they make each other a promise. And the promise is no one will ever leave because it makes sense, it works, and life feel, feels balanced when it feels expected and no one can ever leave. So they'd play the game and before they'd play the game, they would always make this promise. And everything was good, and it was fun, and it was perfect. Until one night, and Cheryl had finished the game. Her friends, her two waterbug friends had left, and she was kind of cleaning up. They used to play cards on this little shell that she bought at Ikea. It's really cute. And so she's cleaning up, and suddenly she feels this really strong desire to start crawling towards the surface. And it's almost as if... She can't not go. And so she starts moving towards the closest lily stalk and she begins to climb higher and higher, farther and farther, until her little head sticks up out of the surface of the water for the first time ever. And she breathes in fresh air into her lungs for the first time ever. And this strange feeling happens. It's like her body tightens and she feels this irresistible desire to stretch. And so she's kind of pushing and pulling with everything inside of her and pulling and breaking. And as she does, she breaks free from this shell that she was not quite aware that she had. And out to her left and out to her right come these beautiful blue wings. And in an instant, she transforms into a beautiful blue dragonfly. And just like that, she jumps up and starts flying into the sky as if it was the most natural thing she could ever do in her life, as if it was the most simple thing she could do. She flies off, but she doesn't forget her promise. She made a promise. She told her two waterbug friends, I know you're thinking, you can play a lot of card games with just two people, but that's not the point. The point is, is that she made a promise to her friends, so in midair, she spins around and she starts heading back to tell her waterbug friends what has happened, how she became what she became, who she is now, and how it all happened, and she's flying down towards the water, and when she comes to the surface of the water, her body bounces from the top like on a thin sheet of glass, and she lands herself on the surface of the water, realizing that she can no longer go back to the place that she once was and that the only thing she can do now is wait for her friends one day to crawl up that lily stalk and join her as well. Death is elusive. If I can remind you of the promise that was made on the day of Jesus' ascension. So just to catch you up, Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose from the grave three days later. 
He is alive. He is in this resurrected physical body. His disciples talk with him. They touch him. They eat with him. And then 40 days after Jesus resurrects from the grave, Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives. His feet lift up off the ground, and Jesus ascends up into heaven. And while all of the people that are gathered there are staring up at this, watching this incredible thing happen, two men in white robes appear on the ground, and one of those men makes an amazing promise. He promises the people that day and through the people that day to every person who has ever or who will ever call upon the name of Jesus. He makes that promise. And I want to remind you that the promise was not, hey guys, Jesus left, but it's fine because one day you're going to die and you're going to go to heaven. That's true, but it's not the promise that they made at the ascension. The promise the angels made on the day that Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives was, hey guys, Jesus is leaving, but one day he's going to come back. And that was the promise. That was the promise that he made that day, and that is the promise that the church of Thessalonica knew. That's the promise that they were familiar with. We've been walking through the series. Last week we talked about unshakable holiness, and today we're going to talk about unshakable hope. We believe that God has designed us to be a resilient people. We've been studying this church in Thessalonica that was kind of this young baby church plant who had this phenomenal success early on in Christianity. And because of their success, we think that there is something that they did that is worth emulating. They copied after Paul and Silas, who were their teachers, and we today are copying after them because they stood out as being a resilient people. I don't believe that God has designed us to be the type of people who are easily knocked over. God has designed us to be people with a resilient heart, a resilient mind, and a resilient faith. And tonight we're going to talk about having an unshakable hope. The church of the Thessalonians knew the promise of Christ's return. They likely did not have it in written form, but they had it in the stories. They knew that Jesus ascended into the clouds and that they knew the promise was Jesus will return. And so the Thessalonians are waiting on this promise with anticipation. They wanted Jesus to come back. They talked about him coming back. They expected him to come back. And they expected it to happen soon because, after all, he hadn't been gone that long. I don't want us to get out of order tonight, but in a few verses, Paul uses this phrase. He says, we who are still living when the Lord returns. He doesn't say those who are living or the ones who are still living. He says, we who are still living when the Lord returns. People who study the Bible believe that Paul believed he would still be living when Jesus returned. The church of the Thessalonians believed that they would still be living when Jesus returned. And this gave them hope until they started losing their skipbo partners. So, so think about this. They are a persecuted church living every day with the hope that Jesus will return at any moment. And it isn't easy, but it's an exhilarating time to be alive. And they have each other and everything seems good until someone they love dies. You know, one of their church members is, is martyred for their faith. One of their church members uh, contracts a disease and dies from it. And while this church is faithfully waiting for Jesus' return, people they love are dying. And when grief comes, it hurts. And they're confused because no one has helped them understand what happens when you die. 
So here's a big thought. If you do not have a biblical understanding of death, heaven, and the second coming of Christ, you will not have hope. And that's kind of a big thought, and you might sit there and argue with me a little bit tonight and say, you know, I'm young and I don't focus on those things a lot, and I have a lot of other things that I, I find hope in. You know, I hope I get a raise next year. I hope that I get a new car. I hope that the girl I like will take me on a date. But, but the second coming of Christ is not just a hope. The Bible describes the second coming of Christ as the hope of the Christian faith, the resurrection of the saints, of those who are in Christ, those who have accepted Christ as their Savior, those who have claimed their dependence upon Christ, upon the sacrifice that he gave upon the cross, Their resurrection is the center of the Christian faith. We need this hope. Our faith is built on this hope, which is why Paul takes the time to bring clarity to this hope in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and why we are going to take time to focus on this passage tonight, because to be unshakable, you need an unshakable hope. Hope is not an option. Hope is a necessity. And if we want to be unshakable people, we need an unshakable hope. Let's start reading tonight. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Can I remind you tonight that Christians do grieve? We are not and should not be immune to the sorrow of loss. I've known people who in the last days or weeks of their life have said things like, oh, you know, in my funeral, um, I just want everything to be really happy and no sad songs, only fun songs and uh, just dancing and, and music and no crying. And I understand why they would want that, but I find it unfair to the people that are left behind because loss is sad. Loss is painful and it is painful for believers You know, a well-lived life is constructed of the people that we love. They they are our structure. And when you lose someone, it's like part of your house collapses. It can feel like that moment that is a moment that you could not rebuild from. And that's very, it is one of the most challenging things you will experience in this life is the loss of a loved one. And Paul does not say we will not grieve Paul says, we who are in Christ will not grieve like people who have no hope. It will be a different grieving experience. And then he explains, verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. I'm sure you might be familiar with the phrase, uh, what would Jesus do? It might be on a a bracelet or a poster that you've got in in your house or something that you've seen online. And so what would Jesus do? You know, it's an interesting question. What this, what we're talking about right now is what will, what will Jesus do? So, so if, if we die, when we die, you know, what happens next? You know, how, how does that all work out? What, what will Jesus do? And the best way to figure out what will Jesus do is to look back and see what did Jesus do? That his precedence is the pattern by which we can set our faith upon. And so when we look back at that, it's, it's fairly clear. Jesus died, and when he died, his spirit was separated from his body because there was still a body on earth, and his spirit was not in that body. 
And then how long did that last for? Well, for him, it lasted for three days. And at the end of those three days, well, when Mary goes to the tomb, is there a body there anymore? No, there's not a body. Why? Because this body has been transformed, because Jesus' resurrected self had been transformed and brought back to life. And so when we ask the question, hey, well, what's going to happen to us when we die? Jesus is the pattern. We talked about this earlier this year. He is the model that lets us know what is going to happen. And so when we think about the people who die who are in Christ, it's going to be a little bit like that, that my body is separated from my spirit for a period of time, and then there will become a time when there's a resurrected self, when there's a great resurrection, and that resurrection is on the second coming of Christ. So Paul says, we will not forget those people. I need you to know that they will not be forgotten, and they even have a special role. Let's keep reading. Verse 15, we tell you this directly from the Lord. You know, I want to pause right there with just that little half sentence. We tell you this directly from the Lord. You know, Paul is clearing something up for us. He's answering the question, why should we trust you? You know, if you're making all these really bold sentences about the afterlife and what happens and how this is all going to work, well, aren't you just a man like I'm just a man? How is it that I should trust that you know more than me? And these are fair questions to ask, you know, if death is elusive and if there are times when thinking about death or of a loved one or, or my death that leaves me confused or feeling um, anxious, why should I trust Paul? You know, why should we allow his words to bring us peace. Well, Paul says, we tell you this directly from the Lord. And when he says that phrase, we tell you this directly from the Lord, he's, he's nodding towards two things. And the first one is this, Jesus taught about the resurrection. So the information that Paul's giving us here is not new information. He's clarifying stuff, but he's not telling us stuff that Jesus has not already said. So if I'm looking for like my central source of what happens when I die, I'm actually not looking at Paul. I'm looking at Jesus. So Jesus said in John 6, 40, he said, For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up. When? At the last day. Immediately? No. When? At the last day. Jesus says in John eleven twenty five. 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. So when Paul starts talking about the resurrection, we see he's saying, hey, I just want you to know, I'm not making this up. There was someone greater than me who said this first, and it was Jesus. I'm here to bring clarity to the questions you're having. The other things that he's pointing at whenever he makes his sentence is he's also saying that, you know, Jesus taught Paul about the resurrection. When Paul has this amazing transformative experience he goes from a guy that was killing Christians to a guy who is, who is raising up new Christians and preaching the gospel. When he has this moment, Jesus appears to Paul and he teaches him these things. And so when Paul is about ready to go into this and tell you exactly how this is all going to happen, and when he does, he pauses and goes, I want to make sure you know that you can trust what I'm telling you. And the reason you can trust is because what I'm telling you comes directly from the Lord. It comes from Jesus. And I, I find comfort in that, that there are things in this life that just can feel stuck and there's a lot of questions and there's a lot of things that can be unknown. And so when I look into the truth of scripture and Paul says, hey, Dan, I'm gonna tell you something, but I need you to know this comes directly from the Lord. That builds my faith. It allows me to receive the word of God with confidence and to trust that what I'm hearing is 
truth. So let's see what he tells us. So verse 15, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. Christians who have died will not be forgotten. As a matter of fact, they will come first. Before those who are living but move one inch, the dead in Christ will rise first. Paul describes this scene in radiant color. If there are two verses in Thessalonians that I feel like should be somewhere in your house, that they should be somewhere highlighted in a Bible or on a note card or on your desktop, that there could be these verses. These verses are something that I think should be at the center of what Christians believe. They should be a reminder to us that help inspire the unshakable hope that we're talking about. Let's read these two verses now, verse 16 and 17. He, he writes this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then, at that moment, on that day, we will be with the Lord forever. So what does this mean to us today? I want to leave you today with three things. So number one, unshakable hope places grief in the framework of resurrection. It is a heartbreaking thing. It is a devastating thing to experience grief outside of the framework of resurrection. But when we are in Christ, when we have called upon his name, when we have surrendered our authority to his authority, grief needs to be placed in the framework of resurrection. And when it's placed in that framework, it changes the way that we see things. It changes the way that we grieve I know there's people in this room who've experienced a lot of grief, and even in very recent months, and I pray that God would be with you, and for those who you know who have passed, who are in Christ, I pray that the Holy Spirit would help you, teach you how to put your grief in the framework of resurrection. It changes the way that we grieve. The second thing is unshakable hope filters our priorities in an eternal timeline. This means that as you walk through life, someone who has a perspective of unshakable hope is someone who is able to recognize things that last and things that don't. This is a fantastic skill that will lead to making extremely wise choices in your life. If you can walk through your life going, that's going to last, that's not going to last. That's eternal, that's, that's not eternal. And being able to place your values and your priorities on the things that last. Your soul is eternal. Your soul will go on and on. Your soul is worth investing in. It is worth protecting. It is worth developing and strengthening. It is the eternal part of your body. And when I think about that, I think about all the souls that are in this room. I think about the souls that you work with, that you love, that are in your families, that are in your neighborhoods. Walking through life with an eternal mindset makes all of the difference. And then finally, number three, unshakable hope brings peace and purpose to the unknown. Unshakable hope brings peace and purpose to the unknown. One of my pet peeves um, is, is preachers who take all of the like afterlife and end time events 
and they like turn it into like this like perfectly designed map where they have like 100% confidence where everything is gonna happen and when it's gonna happen and they just know like they are the source and they understand everything and nothing is unknowable because they are here to help you and make everything make sense that could ever possibly happen. I, I don't think that's true. I think there is a lot that we don't understand. It's like when you go to Six Flags and you're like too short to ride the ride. <laughs> that, that God's truth, it's bigger than us. It's above us. And when I begin to talk about giant things like what happens when we die, when I begin to talk about giant things like the second coming of Christ, giant things like end time events, it's really important for me to be humble and to be aware that the height requirement is a little bit above me. And there are things I'm just not going to get right now. There are parts of this that are going to be mysterious, that are going to be unknowable. And in those moments, it is unshakable hope that allows me to find peace and purpose with the things that I don't know. It is my anchoring place. And when I set my mind upon the resurrection of Christ, when I set my mind about the promise of the second coming of Christ, that hope allows me to work through the unknown. You know, when I think about all of those things we just named, and there's a lot of things we're, we're touching on tonight. And when you get into kind of these big open doors with these big subjects, and there's a lot of questions that can be attached to it, for me, I can, I can sum down my understanding of death, the second coming of Christ, and last day's events, and everything, and about eight words, and we just read them, and it looks like this. Then we will be with the Lord forever. And for me, that's all I need to know. Then we will be with the Lord forever. And that gives me hope. It, it leans me forward in my existence. It helps me not to get stuck it helps me not to be easily knocked over. It helps me to be a resilient person because I am not just stuck here in some momentary timeline. I am a son of God and I belong to him and I am in his kingdom and he has promises he's made for me and because he did what he did, I know that he will do what he says he'll do. And I keep breathing. When I'm in that hope, it raises my eyes and it lowers my anxiety. It allows me to be a person of unshakable hope. As we're counting words, uh, Paul wraps up this chapter with seven words, and let's read them together here. Verse 18, 1 Thessalonians 4, 18. So encourage each other with these words. And that is my prayer for us tonight is that in kind of the visitation of these topics, this might be someone in the room who's reading through this part of Scripture for the first time ever. That's awesome. I'm so glad that you're here. This might be someone in the room who has read this passage for years and years and decades. I'm glad you're here too. And that pattern of us revisiting this, of us zooming into this promise is a critical part of our spiritual health. And my biggest goal is that you would walk out here encouraged. So let us use these words to encourage each other. Let us lift each other up that when we see that our neighbor is discouraged, may we remind them Jesus is coming back. May we remind them that there is a resurrection for all those who are in Christ. May we be the encouragers that they need to give them strength and to lift them up 
we are a community of lifters. We are people who hold on to each other. We are a diverse group of people with one God, with one calling, with one community, with one unity, and it is Christ who is our unifier. He pulls all of us together, and I pray that you're encouraged tonight. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you so much that all of your promises are true. I thank you so much that you have not left us stuck in the unknown. You have allowed us to have a picture, to have a glimpse of what will come. You have given us a way to process our grief. You have allowed us to know you. You have given us a way to filter our life from the things that are not eternal to the things that are. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow us all in this room to be encouraged tonight. Allow us to see you. Holy Spirit, I pray you would speak to us tonight. The truth is, is that man's words fall flat. But even in this space, we believe the Spirit of God can walk around this room and speak to us and uh, waken up our minds, allow us to know him, allow us to hear his voice when his voice in loud ways and in quiet ways can move us and shape us to be more like his son. I pray, Lord, that you would allow your Holy Spirit to encourage us tonight. If we feel drugged down, if we feel stuck, I pray that your Holy Spirit would encourage us with an unshakable hope. I pray, God, that you would fill our tanks, allow us to be fueled with your love, allow us to be fueled with the hope of resurrection. I thank you, God, for this group of individuals. I thank you that you have brought us together under this roof night to celebrate you, to be in your presence, and to be with your people. We love you, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.